Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Polystyrene was the first woman of color in the UK to front a successful rock band. She introduced the world to a new sound of rebellion, using her unconventional voice to sing about identity, consumerism, postmodernism, and everything she saw unfolding in the late 1970s Britain with rare prescience. As the front woman for X-Ray Specs, the Anglo-Somali punk musician was a key inspiration for Riot Girl and also Afro-punk movements. That is just the very, very tip of the iceberg in terms of what this film is about. The film is called Polystyrene. I am a cliche. There's so much here. And we're very fortunate to have with us the co-directors of the film, Celeste Bell and Paul Sung. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Uh, thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Well, how did you two get together? How did this happen? Uh, Paul, you want to start then? Yeah, we were introduced by a writer called Zoe Howe, who was working on a book with Celeste about Polly and the three of us met probably just over five years ago and we talked about our ideas for it came up with a way of telling the story and I think because Polly was such an original artist you know you to make a documentary about it we had to do her justice and so our approach to the film was slightly different to documentaries you know we didn't want to use talking heads we wanted to just record audio interviews and use a lot of archive and the main reason behind that is you know the story's told across multiple decades and we wanted to be able to put the audience into those periods and I think if you see someone talking you can be less removed and we wanted a really immersive experience so we started chatting around ideas um Celeste you know came up with these letters that she wrote to her mum and that later turned into a voiceover Celeste then became much more central to the film because the only person that can tell this story now that Polly isn't here is Celeste you know because she was the closest thing to Polly and I think obviously it's about an artist and a musician but at its heart it's also a film about you know a mother and a daughter yeah. Absolutely. That is absolutely the core of the film. Uh, I agree with you, Paul. Celeste, in terms of the, did the book come first? Uh, the book is uh, Dayglow, the polystyrene story. Was that first? Yes. Um, well, Zoe Howe and I, we started working on the book um, at the end of 2016. But a few weeks later, Paul and I met for the first time uh, together with Zoe. So in reality, the book and film projects were happening at the same time. Uh, however, of course, the book came out before the film because it just took that much longer to finish the film, <laughs> about five years in total. And, you know, it's just such a, a, a bigger project in terms of time, resources, uh, funds, etc., to to sort of make happen. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a big question and you can break it up into parts if you want, but in getting into this project, the book and the film, what were your expectations? What were your trepidations? What did you think would be the challenges on a lot of levels, not just the, the logistics of making a film, but sort of as an, on an emotional level, because what comes across in the film is a very emotionally fraught film about your relationship with your mother. Yeah, so as you say, it does imply a lot to take on this type of project, not only in terms of I knew it was going to be, you know, a big chunk of my life in terms of the, the time it would take to, to get the film, you know, made and then and released. You know, I went into it fully aware that these things could take a long time. So it, it kind of meant that I had to dedicate at least 
five years to examining my relationship with my mother. Overall, I think it was a kind of therapy because I guess in life we just sort of we shut things away, don't we? And we don't we try not to think about them, especially if they're difficult. And this made me confront, you know, certain things that happened in my past with a, a new type of perspective because, you know, I'm in front of the camera, but I'm also along with Paul, the director. So I had to kind of separate myself from my own story so that I think could be very very helpful not everyone needs to make a film to do it but it's certainly a, you know a therapeutic process that I could recommend to anyone who maybe had a challenging childhood. Paul I'm curious about the the uh, progression of the film in terms of in your mind in the filmmaking part of this the, obviously the two of you were collaborating on the film to both of you but Paul to start was Celeste always going to be kind of our guide, sort of the person who introduces us to Polly or Marion. Um, and how did that, did that come about right away? Yeah. Or was that something that evolved? Yeah, Celeste was, was always going to be that guide, but it changed from being a guide who was off screen and, and doing voiceover to somebody who we literally follow, you know, walking around, walking up and down the pier. I would say, I mean, probably, I mean, maybe like three to six months in, that was what it became. And that's, that's, you know, really what happens. And I think one of the advantages of having all that time to make the film was that we could really spend a lot of time crafting and thinking about it and trying different things. But Celeste was always central to the story. There's no one that can tell that story as well as Celeste. Celeste, you were obviously on board, but I mean, how did you, did it change anything about kind of what you saw the film was going to be or how did, how did that impact it? Yeah, definitely. I think initially we started off with a series of letters that Paul suggested that I write to my mother, which would form a sort of dialogue. You know, the le I spent a lot of time sort of crafting these these letters. You know, I, I wanted them to mirror, in a sense, my mother's diary entries. So right. we went from what was kind of a dialogue to me being, um, maybe to actually sort of being a character, which I wasn't initially, you know, so I'm kind of a character in, in, the, in the film. Um, and so my own story, I think, you know, developed a lot more. So I wasn't just reflecting what my mother was sort of going through, as I was originally, I was also kind of telling a bit of my own life story there. So it's, um, it definitely developed and the story, you know, developed. It was, I think, the right choice that we made because you know, it's it's much more of a, it's an unconventional music documentary for, for a start. It's, it's you know, really the story of a relationship between mother and daughter in this kind of very remarkable period of time. But the, the I think the essence of it is, is this mother-daughter relationship story, which I think was the right approach right. in the end. I do too. I, uh, I want to let people know the film is called Polystyrene. I am a cliche. And as I shared with you before we started the formal part of our interview, I knew of X-Ray Specs, which was the band that she started. But there was so much more that I learned in the course of this. And I think it's important to point out that you don't need to know anything about her, her career, who she was. It stands alone as a beautiful document, as you said, to a, to a daughter and a mother relationship. And we watch this unfold. But let's talk about the career of Polly Styrene, of your mom, Marion. Um, let's talk about X-Ray Specs. She started the band or a little bit about her background. Let's go back to her 
her her upbringing as a biracial woman in Britain in in the nineteen late nineteen sixties nineteen seventies, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, she was um, born in nineteen fifty seven in in London, when Bromley, which is sort of a suburb of London. She yeah, she was born at a time when everything was changing in the UK. There was a, a first wave of significant immigration, and her father was part of that wave of migrants coming from full, former colonies. Um, and he was a, a Somali seaman. And mixed race relationships were also very new at the time. And, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of looked down upon by large sections of society. So my mother and her brothers and sisters, they really did have to go through some very challenging times, sort of being at the forefront of this huge cultural change. She did experience a lot of racism, discrimination, and I guess that's kind of what gave her this unique outsider's perspective um, because, you know, she always felt like an outsider. And um, we kind of talk about that connection with punk, you know, and why punk was the perfect vehicle uh, of expression for people like my mother who really felt like they were on the outside of uh, society. And this was the first time they could create something of their own where they were at the center of it. Yeah, this is a very interesting time period, specifically about UK, the United Kingdom. The empire has, was pretty much gone by the time your mom arrived on the scene. But all of the things that come with an empire, which is immigration, which is what Britain saw, it was a lot of economic unrest. There were a lot of things going on. Um, around the world, but certainly in in the United Kingdom, that was that were really kind of a an incubator for unrest. But at the time punk came along, and Paul, I'll direct this to you. Uh, you know, it was a it was a reaction to the uh, racism that was going on in society in many ways, as Celeste just described. It was it was an organic reaction to this sort of xenophobia that was going on in Britain. Uh, I think it's an important part of the story, the social side of the of the music movement that we know as punk and new wave. Is that a fair assessment to put it that way? I think so. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look back at that period, it's interesting when you compare, you know, the the seventies, the late seventies, and then the early eighties, and the economic conditions that I think fueled fascism. Because I think it was politicians like Enoch Powell were fueling this fear of immigration and turning people against, you know, immigrants based on, you know, lies that they'd stolen jobs. I mean, these were jobs that, you know, British people didn't want to do, you know, being bus conductors, cleaning the streets. But I think it's very easy to sort of blame social problems, you know, right when politicians always do this on what is effectively an underclass in some respects, which, you know, can be, you know, people that are refugees or, you know, migrants. I think we had a period in the 90s and the noughties where we, maybe we kidded ourselves that these problems or, these attitudes had gone away. But, you know, over here in the UK, Brexit has put paid to that. You know, we've seen that in some ways now those resentments, those differences and, you know, that kind of that willingness of, of you know, right wing politicians to castigate minorities and blame them and turn often working class people against, you know, that kind of culture of people is back again. So it's an interesting thing now to sort of compare the late 70s the economic conditions then to what we're going through now, post-pandemic, where the economy is going to be, fueling resentment, you know, the rise of fascism, scary times, you know, it kind of feels like we've gone backwards, I think. 
again, the film is called Polystyrene. I am a cliche. It is coming out on February 2nd here in the United States, all kinds of uh, all throughout the uh, U.S. on on February 2nd, including here in Southern California, uh, the Frida Cinema in Santa Ana, the Art Theater in Long Beach. Go to polystyrenefilm.net to find out more about it. It's posted at the Film School Radio website as well if you want to find out more about it. But we've been talking a lot about sort of big picture stuff here. Again, I want to go back to what I believe to be the central theme of the film. It's this intimacy, this journey that your mom was on uh, through it all, uh, through a lot of very, very troubling things that happened to her and in her life. Uh, and you being there for to witness a lot of this, uh, it, it, it comes across in the film, but I don't, don't want to lose sight of the fact that you went through it as well as she did on a different in a different way. But as you look back on, especially in light of the film, Celeste, how do you feel today as we're sitting here getting ready for this film, essentially to be released here in the United States, if not to the world? What would you like people to come away with um, in terms of the experience of this film for you, but also hoping to convey to them as well? You know, I think it's a, there are universal themes in the film that can appeal to everyone because they touch on universal experiences, the things that we all go through. So we all go through loss. We all go, go through grieving. Uh, sadly, we, all, we will all lose people that we love. How do you come out the other end of that? How do you keep going on? What kind of motivates you? And I think it's the... You know, it's a cliche, of course. <laughs> you know, it's funny with our, the, our film title, but what kind of pushes you to go on is sort of remembering and celebrating life, and that inspires you to live your life with always knowing that, I mean, this sounds really depressing, but, you know, it, the end can come at any time. So it's what we do while we're still here that really counts, and not being afraid. You know, I think... Some, uh, Don Letts, there's a quote at the end of the film that, you know, she was brave. He, he talks about my mother's in terms of her bravery. And I think there is so, so much evidence of bravery right. throughout the film. And uh, being brave, you know, it, it has so many meanings. It's, you know, being kind of willing to, to create art when doors are closed. You, like my mother did, it's being willing to be unpopular and do things where people might say that you're crazy or you're you know you've lost you've lost your marbles as, as many people did when my mother you know left ex respect and joined the Hare Krishna movement and being brave like that I think is and of course I've had to be brave as well you know with with dealing with my mother's death and and then taking on a, a project like this and so yeah I think bravery I hope um, that is is kind of one of the the many, but one of the significant universal messages of the film. I couldn't agree more. It is about bravery. She was a seeker, a searcher. She, she was someone, despite everything that, that happened to her, she got to points. We talked at the very beginning about her fronting her own band, a, a woman in front of a, a punk band. Very, very few women were doing that at that time. And she kept going. She kept moving forward despite the setbacks to the end. It's interesting how many of the things she wanted to do uh, would almost seem like, well, yeah, why not today in the context of where we are with, uh, with, with human rights in general. Yeah. Hopefully they continue to evolve. But a uh, couple of quick things in terms of the story and the storytelling. 
Uh, Ruth Nega does the narration of the diary, which is beautiful, just really wonderful counterpoint to your own reflections on your mom. And also the different voices we hear in the film, a really beautiful array of people who even, again, I'll say it again, even if you're not familiar with polystyrene or the band or anything else, this is a standalone experience, and I really recommend it highly to people who just want to see a wonderful documentary about a very, very, very interesting woman, and, and to you as well. So I want to thank you both for your time today. This is a wonderful film. The film thank again you, is, Mike. You're That's very right. welcome. Thank you. The film, again, is called Polystyrene. I am a cliche, and we've been joined today by the co-directors, as well as the subject of the film. That would be Celeste Bell and Paul Song. To both of you, thank you so much and all the best moving forward. You too, thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, thank you, Mike. Thank, thank you Take so much. Take care. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music